0: Hi, and welcome to Superwomen, where we talk to amazing women shaping culture, changing the world, and lifting each other up along the way. I'm your host, Rebecca Minkoff, and today I'm excited to talk with Lauren Chan. Lauren's been a Ford model, an award-winning journalist, and most recently, a fashion editor at Glamour Magazine. For most of her career, Lauren has focused on making fashion more size-inclusive by writing about the industry. Here's Lauren Chan on Superwomen. Superwomen is proud to have Prudential as its presenting sponsor. Prudential and wellness expert Alexandra Drain are traveling across America to learn more about our country's challenging financial landscape in a new project called The State of Us. To learn more about the financial challenges facing America, visit prudential.com forward slash state of us. And stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear more about this important project. So I am with Lauren Chan, who has many slashes to her career, model, writer, entrepreneur. Um, You've had an incredible climb up the publishing career ladder with T Magazine, Interview, Refinery, Cosmo, Glamour. What made you leave this cushy experience and go out on your own? Well, I think that one of the things is
1: that by the time that I left at the top of this year, it's not that my job wasn't, but magazines in general have just become less, quote-unquote, cushy. You know, I had done so much at Glamour that I was proud of and was able to do so much in a short three and a bit years. Um, And I think that was a function of the industry changing so much and as an effect of that young people were just given more responsibility, whether that was to save money or, or, or whatever reason, but it worked out so that I got so many of my goals accomplished. You know, I had a personal column there about size and fashion. We had an online vertical. I had um, worked on two sponsored issues that were entirely dedicated to women's sizes 14 and up. I had helped creative direct 10 collections with Lane Bryant. Like the list goes on. All these unbelievable things happened in such a short amount of time that it was kind of like I was looking around thinking, what else can I do here for myself, for them, for my readers? And the answer was kind of maybe nothing. I don't don't want to say that. It sounds kind of cynical, but, you know, Cindy Levy was the editor-in-chief of Glamour for such a long time and announced that she was leaving at the end of last year. And to me, that was the universe. Cindy is the universe in my eyes, I guess,
0: saying, all right, well, now seems like a good time. And so at Glamour, you Mm -hmm. also worked with brands like Lane Bryant and helping Tanya Taylor launch plus-size clothing lines. Are you doing anything on your own in that realm? Yes. So
1: one of the reasons why I left was that I wanted to reach my reader and follower and woman in general in a way that was more tangible in her life, that she could touch and feel and interact with um, on a daily basis. And just as people are reading print content much less, this customer above a size 14 wants these clothes so much more. And so when I worked with Tanya... What we did was we partnered Tanya and AD Bryant to make a dress in 80s size for her to wear to an event. And Tanya thereafter launched um, plus sizes in in her pre-fall collection of the year. And that was through an article that I was doing. And I could see my writing work veering towards the product space. And so once I really had time to kind of reflect and think about what I was going to do next, I really just thought, hey, I got to try it. And so now I'm working on a plus size collection of my own and it will kind of focus on workwear and
0: elevated staples because frankly, that's just what I was missing in my life. So you're also a model and you've been really vocal about growing comfortable with your own body. I remember when we last spoke, you were like, I'm comfortable with my own body. And I was like, I want to be comfortable with my (laughs) body. And I never am. I always have a mirage of like when I just lose the baby weight, then, then I'll never say anything shitty about myself again. Not true. Can you tell me how you did that? Because I think we all could take some of that advice. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel
1: like a walking infomercial for this. (laughs) But, you know, I love infomercials. And you're allowed to say shitty things to yourself. I just think that the good things should outweigh the shitty things. And it took me a long time to get there. I mean, I first became a plus-size model in 2012. And that's really when my mind started to change about my body. Because, you know, to all the people in my life who had said something, I got to kind of retort in my own head and be like, well, fuck you, I'm making money from this ass. You know, excuse my French, but that's really how I felt. Um, And then that transitioned into a bunch of other feelings. But really, how I got there was I started surrounding myself with people by way of my job and also my personal life who did love their bodies and who looked like me and who looked different from me. And that helped so much because I'm from a small town where everybody kind of looks the same and the same there is not like me. Like I was very much the other. I'm Chinese and Armenian. I'm 5'10". I've been everything from a size 12 to 20. And that just wasn't the norm. And so then you come to New York and it's a melting pot of women. And especially when I worked in plus size fashion, it was, you know, people who looked like me finally. Anyways... It's all around about way of saying, "surround yourself with people who make you feel good, um, who don't make you want to say shitty things about yourself, and who lead by example." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always had big,
0: low-hanging boobs <laughs> that I hate. You but. and me both. <laughs> Tuck them under my waist, man. Um, But the first time I was like, I no longer hate my boobs is when they served a purpose. When they fed my children, I was like, now I don't hate you guys anymore because you made a lot of milk for these puppies.
1: That is amazing. See, I haven't had that experience and I can only imagine what having children is going to do to my body image and self-image and I
0: can't wait. I could pick your brain about that all day. (laughs) So one of the things that I think about is plus size sort of implies that it's not normal that it's like this extra oops, how do you sort of feel about that or what, I mean, it's inclusive sizing or just the size, right? Yeah. So
1: that's exactly what it means. It just means above average. And where I think we get confused and people get angry is that plus size when we're talking about garments is one thing and plus size when we're talking about people is another. And so if we really think about how it means above average, the average clothing run goes up to 12 or 14. So anything above that is considered plus size. Um, when we're talking about models, i.e. the people that we would be using the term for, the average size for a model is a 2.4. So anything above that technically is considered plus size. Like you will see size 6, 8 girls on quote unquote plus size boards. And so really the term should be as different as like night and day, but they're the same term and people get really angry Um, I use the term plus size because I'm talking about clothes more often than not. And it's really the category term. If you go to a trade show or you start talking about to buyers about it, they use that term. And to me, when we start using terms like curvy, to me, that's offensive because you're then implying that you think plus size is bad and God forbid you say it out loud. And so instead, you're going to make up this word that doesn't even really mean what you're saying because you can be a size two and curvy. And so I kind of hear that and roll my eyes. Um, that said, I don't publish the word plus size most of the time now. Instead, I just say whatever size we're talking about. So... Right. I think I might have even said earlier, without even thinking about it, if I'm talking about Lane Bryant, I say sizes 14 and up. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking about, I don't know, a straight size designer that goes only up to size 12, I say sizes 0 to 12 or up to 12. Um, because frankly, I just think saying what you mean is the
0: best way to go. Um, yeah. Can you break down for me the culture uh, surrounding, you know, the models that you? inevitably surround yourself with i think that people have this idea that
1: plus size modeling is such a better atmosphere than straight size modeling and i can only speak to my experience which was years ago now and in a lot of ways i hear that it was i also was never a straight size model so i don't really know um so the only thing i can really say is that for me personally it was not I didn't have any context to compare it to, like I said, um, as a size zero or two model, but for me modeling was really hard because it made me compare myself to other women daily, if not hourly, if not by the minute, if I was on Instagram, because when your work revolves around your looks and you're constantly going to castings and never getting jobs, which clearly I was not a very good model because I worked, like, once a month. Shout out to Macy's for paying my rent. You know, the inherent message when you lose modeling jobs to other women is that they are better than you because they're better looking than you. And that can put you in a really, really weird headspace. And for me, I was constantly thinking, like, well, why didn't I get that? Why well, can't let me list the physical ways in which you know, I paled in comparison to these other people. And so it actually got so bad for me that I had to switch off all behaviors of comparison. And now I see that as one of the greatest gifts of modeling. One, having been that it gave me my niche of and passion of plus-size fashion. But number two being that I seriously do not compare myself to other women because I know what
0: that will do to you, and I know that there's absolutely no point in going there. I feel like as a designer, when I'm casting models, Mm -hmm. sometimes we're making a choice based on their shoe size, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I'm like, I hope they know it's not because anything was... You know, it's like I want to tell them, like, nothing was wrong with you, but your foot was too big for my shoe.
1: You're so you know? sweet. Maybe you said you would make someone
0: say. Or, like, our sample, our asshole of a pattern maker made this slightly too small, and we have to find the person that actually fits into it. You yeah, know, like, yeah. I wish more people would say yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Well, and the other part of that is models are often really young girls who are impressionable. Right. And so, hey, if you did say that, I bet you it would change their whole tune for the day. Um, I know it would have changed mine. Because you really just get in your head and you think it's all about you and you being wrong, and then you being wrong, meaning like you, how you look, which is so weird and bad. Yeah, agreed. But now with social, and there are a few plus size models who have like groups that are for support and for advice for other models, and you can DM people at any time,
0: and more often than not, people will be so kind and help you. There's so many unhealthy versions of what people think they should be, and even models not being healthy. What is healthy, and how can people who either want to be a model or be in the fashion industry work together to sort of make it just about health and not being uh, literally a clothing rack for a garment? That's such a good
1: question, and I feel like that's where the conversation around body in fashion is kind of shifting. Tess Holliday was just on the digital cover of self. Um, and the article was about a ton of things, but one of them is that, you know, she gets trolled all the time and I was DMing her when her cover came out and just said, you know, stay strong because what you're doing is so important. And I can only imagine the comments that you're going to get right now. But I think that that is so groundbreaking in so many ways, because what is health is such a huge question. And, We've talked about size, inclusion, and fashion. We've talked about body positivity. And now we're moving into a conversation that's more on the health front. Um, I don't have the answer to that. To me, health is being well, whatever that means to you. And that's such a canned answer. But... I frankly don't even know if I know what that is for me. I don't know if that's eating five Halo tops in a day <laughs> or <laughs> or going and playing basketball first thing in the morning or both or neither, you know? And so I don't know exactly what size that is for me. I don't know if size is even related to that. And that's why I, I you know, bring people like Tess into this conversation in my own mind when I think about it because I think that she's doing such a good job of challenging that question in people and changing the conversation and putting herself out there Um, and I'm really interested to see where this conversation goes
0: I definitely think more clearly when I eat nourishing healthy and balanced meals but doing that every day can feel like a real chore Sunbasket offers 18 quick, healthy recipes each week, including paleo and gluten-free, my favorite, vegan, and calorie-conscious options, all delivered to your door with organic produce and clean ingredients, so you don't have to worry about the details, and eating right is never a chore again. Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to cook healthy, delicious meals at home, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Now you have more options than ever, just go to the Sunbasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes. Easily cook dishes like Buddha bowls with braised tofu, soba noodles, and cashew lime dressing. Sunbasket works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh, organic produce and responsibly raised meats and seafood. Go to sunbasket.com/superwomen today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com/superwomen for $35 off sunbasket.com slash superwomen. So when you were at Glamour, um, what were some of the challenges you faced because you did launch that column for them? You know, were you scared to launch it? Were you excited? Were you met with other people saying, we don't want this type of content?
1: Yeah, I was really scared. It didn't start when I first got there, because when I transitioned to full-time editorial from part-time writing and plus-size modeling, I didn't want to touch plus-size with a 10-foot pole, because even four years ago, fashion was different. It was still kind of more fashion with a capital F, and I did not want to be the big girl in the room. I did not want to not fit in. You know, I still wanted to be everything that I had seen in The Devil Wears Prada. It was my first time in a corporate environment at a major magazine and so I didn't and it was only when I realized that everyone was kind of trying to do the same thing and I wasn't going to get ahead and I wasn't going to make an impact individually unless I found my own niche and followed what makes me me and so Jane Kellner DiValle was my boss at the time and she suggested that I write One article on it and really blow it out. Um, And we did it together and it was awesome. It's one of my favorite pieces I've ever done. I basically did all this sleuthing and found out what designers would make you plus size by custom order. Um, So, you know, I was like in the Prada store with my friend Precious Lee, pretending to be buying all of this amazing custom gear and then later dodging phone calls from the sales reps because I couldn't back it up. Um anyhow, after that was published, it was Cindy's idea that I start the column. We were in a car going to the opening ceremony show uptown. I think it was like Pier 90. So we had quite a drive, and we got to talking about it then, and that week I pitched, and from there it was all rainbows and butterflies.
0: Wow. Yeah. And do you feel that since writing that article and being so vocal on the subject, do you ever feel like can I just talk about something else, you know, or, or you're modeling and it's plus size model. Like, is it like, come on already? Can we just get over this? It's just, I'm a person.
1: Yeah. I mean, so one of the fears that I had was not always being the big girl, but then also pigeonholing myself and only being referenced for this part of the industry. Um, Yes, I feel like that, but I do feel that it has more advantages to be an expert in something. And I'm proud that I am, have become an expert in that. However, I have taken a break from writing (laughs) since I left uh, my post there about six months ago because I just don't have anything left to say right now. (laughs) You know, you turn out so many pitch ideas and then only so many of those get selected and then you spend so much time making those come to life and then you're on to the next thing by the time it's published and it's tiring and it's also so mentally taxing. You're giving your best efforts and then you kind of stop and you're like, Well, it's a good thing that I put everything out there, but now do I have anything else of value to say? Are people going to want to hear from me? And so
0: I'm kind of taking a break to regroup on that front. Yeah, Yeah. you're in hibernation. Yeah, I totally get it. I go into my maternity leave was my hibernation. I was like, actually, I don't want to be in a single design meeting. I trust you guys to make the decisions. If I hate it. That's my fault, but I want to (laughs) it. I thought you were going to say, if I hate it, I will let you know. (laughs) No, I wasn't even going to do that to them. I was going to be like, you know what? If I hate it, then I traded that, you know, for maternity leave. But we talked something about that
1: last time we met. You were talking about being calm and getting to that place and how you tried to get mad at something once and it just didn't work. work. And so, you know, I admire that attitude that you have. You can't teach that. And that's really valuable.
0: To be able to step away. Yeah. To trust people. Yeah. You, I, I think at a certain point, like you said, you did it for so many years and you just mm-hmm. need to like walk away for a sec. So you have a very diverse background. Your dad is Chinese. Your mom is Armenian. Mm-hmm. I'm going to credit your hair with the Armenians <laughs> because damn, you have beautiful hair. It's the eyebrows too. It's the eyebrows. Yeah. Yes, it's good. I like it. Um, has that given you a better understanding of just the multidimensional nature of women or the people, you know, the stories you're doing, because you've been exposed to just two very different backgrounds?
1: Yes, but I think I only realized that recently, because I guess it has to do with the time and the place, but when I grew up, I did not grow up thinking that I was culturally very different from people. I mean, I knew I looked different, but I felt that more in terms of being tall and bigger, like people would call me the giant whatever. Or, But now if I think about it, I'm so proud to be Chinese and Armenian and be a little bit other. Um, I think it's given me so much confidence in being an individual just because I had to build that skin. Um, and then as far as women goes, like my mom is an entrepreneur, and I don't know why that never really clicked for me. She started her own pharmacy. Um, She had the balls to leave. Sorry, mom. Balls. Mom and balls. Good one, (laughs) Lauren. She had the guts to leave her job at the, basically, CVS of Canada and launch her own thing in an underprivileged neighborhood in our town, and it's still up and running to this day. I'm sure she wants to retire. She deserves to, Um, but that's so inspiring in retrospect to have watched her do. My dad has um, dental practice, and so I guess kind of where I'm headed in my life perhaps is predestined, but
0: anyways, I digress. Destined where? Oh, destined to to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yes. yeah. In a weird way. I don't know. I don't know why I really, that all went over my head until recently. Yeah, but sometimes it's good to realize those things later, because then you don't have this pressure of like, well, they're entrepreneurs, so I should be one, you know? That's true. My brother is going to be a pharmacist, so he
1: very much followed in the path. But he's super, super, super intelligent, so it's it's perfect for him.
0: Who are some of the women that have helped you? You mentioned Cindy. We can yes. talk a little bit about. Yeah, there are so many. It's something that I wish I got to talk about more and people ask more because I just want to
1: scream from the rooftops how thankful I am to all these people. I mean, like you being one of them, I'm so happy to be in the fold of all things Rebecca Minkoff. Um And I especially love that we met through our mutual friend, Eden, because things like that feel really special to me in New York, where it's so big and intimidating and you work in fashion and magazines to, you know, meet people that can help you along the way and someone's home over dinner is incredibly important. Um, But yes, so the women who have helped me, oh man, first I guess Jacqueline Sarka, who was an agent at Ford, they took a chance on me and signed me and gave me my first visa and my way here. Because writing visas are so hard to get. They wanted me to have, like, 10 years of professional writing experience at 21 years old. So it was basically a non-starter. After that... Were you discovered, like, in a mall with your friend? Someone <laughs> tapped you? That was always, like, my dream. I guess that must happen in a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie <laughs> somewhere. Because it was always in the back of my mind. Um, but no, I went to a Ford Open Call. Okay. I drove here with my dad. What drove you to go to the Open Call? To be honest, I can't remember which is a great answer. Um, (laughs) If I really think about it, I spent a lot of time on the internet instead of doing work in university. And one of the sites that I used to go to all the time was the Ford Models site. I think because I loved Crystal Wren so much at the time, and I remember seeing a little advertisement that they were having the first open call for the plus size division that they had had in years. And so I think because it was positioned in a way that it was the first one in forever and perhaps for time to come, I was like, oh my God, I I gotta go. Um, And so, yes, my dad and I drove to New York City in like half a day, stayed over, went to the open call and drove home the next day with a contract. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, All the editors who let me freelance for them... Amy O'Dell and Elisa Benson at Cosmo, and Tess Komen, who hired me for my first kind of long-term freelance gig there. Um, Joanna Coles has always been so kind to me. Um, But then really with propelling me forward, Jane Keltner hired me, gave me that first opportunity to really dig my teeth into editorial work, Cindy, obviously, Um, after Jane left, Florence Kane was my boss and she is a wonderful, wonderful human who is so good at fostering other people. It continues to go on, which is so exciting. It's great.
0: It's incredible women too.
1: Yeah. I know. I'm really, I'm really lucky. I feel like if I would have told my 15 year old self this, I would just like
0: (laughs) roll over and faint. Yeah. But I don't think it's luck. You worked your ass off, so you deserve what is happening. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, what would some people be surprised to know about you? I always share first, just to loosen things up. I am a descendant of Genghis Khan. I don't know if that's good or bad. What? (laughs) Yes.
1: How do you know that?
0: So, I have to confirm it with 23andMe, but (laughs) I have two Caucasian parents. And my whole life, they're like, are you Japanese? Are you Chinese? Like, I get it all the time. Yeah. And so, I started researching it. And way back on my mom's side, like, her people were raped and pillaged by the Mongols. And so every sort of couple hundred years, it comes out in weird ways. Like, my great-uncle is, like, white, like, the whitest man ever with these, like, very Chinese eyes. Wow. Or Mongolian eyes. So, and then I confirmed it with... Uh, someone I work with in Korea, the owner of a factory, and he said, do you have the divots in your back? Because those are all the descendants of Genghis. And I was like, yes, I have these deep divots in my lower back. And he was like, yep, you're his. Oh my so, gosh,
1: that's crazy. Yeah, it's
0: crazy. Anyways, you can share something. It doesn't have to be genetic. Um, Something that people would be
1: surprised to know. Before I had my fashion life, my whole life was sports. I played basketball my whole life. Up through university, I played for my province. I never made the national team, but I'm kind of small for a, for a forward. I mean, probably not many people are going to know what I'm talking about, but I'm 5'10", and the girls that I used to play against were literally 6'4", and I used to wish on every birthday candle and every shooting star that I would sprout up to be 6'5", and be able to beat them, but I never did. Um, So that's one thing. I still play here in the city on the weekends and uh, at the Nike headquarters sometimes,
0: and So I still pepper it into my life. I wish that I did more. Yeah. I think it's awesome that you play team sports, though. I feel like the girls that play team sports operate differently with women than girls that were just ballerinas. Yes. You know, we learn how to work as a team. Yes. And it's not like, get out of my way. There's only one prima donna here. (laughs) Prima ballerina here. Yeah. I mean, it definitely taught me so much.
1: And if I ever have kids, they'll definitely be in sports. I mean not that I'm going to force them to if they want to dance, but I tried dance, I was really bad at it. It just teaches you so much, yeah, about working with other people and lifting other people up when they need it, and leaning on people when you need it, totally. Um, you know, how to grow with a coach and make them
0: proud, like so much.: Any last words of advice?: Oh my God, for our listeners. Any last words of advice? Sounds so ominous, but just any any great advice you have or received that worked. It does. Okay, so I recently spent
1: the day at NIDA, the National Eating Disorders Association, and did training to become a facilitator to be allowed to put on their body project seminar to high school girls. And so the girls kind of go through it, and it's a bunch of activities and, and talking to each other and um, really dismantling the beauty ideal And in walking away from the training, I felt like I just wanted to really keep talking about that. And so one of the things that we talked about in the seminar was what can you do in your life, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, to make yourself feel really good about yourself. And I guess if I flip that on its head and make it advice, I would say take time every day to look in the mirror and talk to yourself out loud and tell yourself some things that you like about you. Um, Ashley Graham has always told me to do this. It clearly works. Um, It might sound a little bit funny, but say it. And if you say three things, you know, make at least one of them physical. The other things can be mental, um, social, what, what have you. But really try to do that. Another piece of advice that I always tell people is to take inventory on your social media because we spend so much time on it. And go through and unfollow the people who make you feel not so great about yourself, even if they don't mean to, even if they're friends, even if it's going to be weird and you have to have a conversation in real life. But do it for yourself. And then go seek out people who will make you feel awesome. And so for me, that was Gabby Gregg, Nicolette Mason. Um, women in politics who have more to talk about than what they look like, people setting a great example in their careers. And that helped change my mind just because we see social media so much every day that it affects us without even knowing sometimes. Anyways, those are my two things. Everybody go do it. Love it. Press pause and get to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Chan, thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Lauren Chan, a model, an award winning journalist and a fashion features editor you can find her work at lauren-chan.com or on instagram at l-c-c-h-a-n that's it for this week please rate and review us on apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts thanks for listening to superwomen tune in next week Superwomen is brought to you by Prudential, promoting their new project, The State of Us. Today, less than half of us believe we're on track to meet our financial goals. America is changing, and with it, the financial challenges we face. That's why Prudential has partnered with wellness expert Alexandra Drain. They're traveling across the country, talking to real people in a project called The State of Us. From the town with the longest lifespan, to the town with the highest birth rate, to the smallest town in America their goal is to uncover challenges getting in the way of financial wellness. Because even though our challenges may seem overwhelming, Prudential believes there's a path forward for everyone. To learn more about the financial challenges facing America, visit prudential.com forward slash state of us.